Hello and welcome. This is 21. Episode 5.2 Covered in white and capped with gold. Welcome back to 21, everybody. Last week, we covered the beginnings of the fifth wonder on our list, the Great Pyramid of Giza. We looked at the logistics that it would have taken to even get this massive project underway. We looked at the size of the Great Pyramid and everything that went into this construction project. Today, we will look at what the finished pyramid would have looked like to the Egyptian people, as well as what else was built around it, such as the worship centers and other famous structures on the Giza Plateau, such as the Sphinx. Next week, we will look at the interior of the Great Pyramid, all the different passageways, the burial chamber, other rooms, and dead ends to trap potential grave robbers. Then in the following week, we will look at the history of the Great Pyramid. That might take more than one week to complete, but we will cross that bridge when we get there. I don't normally lay out the wonders like this, but we have so much information regarding the Great Pyramid, I think it was important to just kind of lay out the basics of what we're going to cover. As we talked about in the previous episode, the majority of the basic pyramid structure was of a lesser quality limestone and granite. These stones are what are visible to us today. These blocks were fitted into place, but not with any extreme care. The workers were more focused on erecting the pyramid, rather than making the stones in the middle of the sides fit perfectly. The workers would even use smaller stones to fill in gaps and cracks in the pyramid walls as they went up. They could get away with this too because Pharaoh Khufu had a plan to bring the Great Pyramid of Giza to a whole new level. As the pyramid continued to rise over the Sahara Desert, Khufu ordered an outer shell to cover this inner stone. This outer layer needed to be perfect. For this outer layer, Pharaoh Khufu ordered that a higher quality of limestone be quarried. These stones had to be perfect and white as possible. The kingdom's best quarrymen, architects, engineers, and stonemasons were assigned to these quarries to quarry such limestone. The limestone blocks that were chosen could have no blemish or color distortions of any kind. They also had to be cut perfectly so that they fit in exactly with the block next to them and the blocks on both sides, as well as the blocks below them. This took incredible skill, patience, and work to get these stones just right. But boy oh boy, was it worth it. Once the interior burial chamber, passageways, and everything else was completed, the construction of the outer layer could begin. This outer layer covered the entire pyramid on all four sides. To add to the grandeur of the pyramid, it was rumored that it had a gold capping to it. That the final few blocks of stone at the very top were covered with gold. Sadly, today we have no way of knowing if this is true or not, and we will cover what would have happened to the golden top in a future episode, but I for one believe it to be true. A golden top would have made the pyramid that much more alluring to the gods and help the pharaoh ascend to heaven.
But golden top or not, the completed pyramids must have been astounding and awesome to look at. Now we have to remember something to keep the Great Pyramid of Giza in the proper perspective. We have to remember that the pictures on the website, 21wonderspodcast.com, and the pictures I'm sure you're all familiar with, is what is left of the pyramid. It's just the bare bones which are visible to us today. And what is visible today is a far cry short of what the completed pyramid would have looked like. Covered in white and capped in gold, it would have literally looked like a teardrop from heaven. Perhaps the Egyptians believed that it was so tall that it actually reached heaven, and that was why the top had to be gold. I can only imagine what this must have looked like to the ancient peoples. Not just the Egyptians, but all the ancient peoples who traveled to see the Great Pyramid. It must have looked like it was made out of ivory, with a golden top guiding the spirit of the pharaohs up to join the gods in heaven. The completed pyramid was the tallest building in the world, and nothing else came close. It would remain the tallest building in the world until the completion of the Eiffel Tower in Paris. The Eiffel Tower was completed in 1889. That means that the Great Pyramid of Giza stood towering over the other structures on the planet for more than 3,000 years. The magnitude of the Great Pyramid of Giza cannot be overstated. It was an accomplishment yet to be matched in architectural history. That might sound like a little bit of an overstatement, but personally I don't think so. And by the time we are finished covering this wonder, I'm confident you'll feel the same. Because we have only covered the outside and basic shape of the Great Pyramid. We haven't even gotten to what the interior looks like, or what else was built in the immediate area on the Giza Plateau. Now, not everything else that we're going to cover in this episode was built by Pharaoh Khufu along with his pyramid. In fact, I don't think anything else was built by him on the Giza Plateau. The Great Pyramid was enough. But a perfect example of this is the Great Sphinx, which was constructed by his son, Khafre. But everything else we cover here is a part of the Giza Plateau, and were built there because of the Great Pyramid. What started out as a barren plateau on the banks of the Nile would become the greatest site in history, a place which reminds us of how little we actually know about the ancient world, and a place that still brings hundreds, thousands, if not millions of people to its shores every single year. If you look at pictures of the Giza Plateau today, you will notice that there is not just one pyramid standing on it. There are three large pyramids and a number of smaller pyramids. The other two of the large pyramids, while obviously not as grand as the Great Pyramid, are still incredibly impressive. We could honestly spend an entire podcast looking into the wonders that are built onto the Giza Plateau, but I won't go into too much detail here. I will just give you a general overview of what else resides on the Giza Plateau before we return to the Great Pyramid next week. I think it's important to understand the impact that the Great Pyramid had on the generations that followed it. The second of the three pyramids on the Giza Plateau was constructed by Khafre, the son and successor of Khufu. His pyramid is just as impressive as his father's, 
but it does not receive as much, if any, of the attention for one reason. It's just a little shorter. It stands at about 143.5 meters, or 470 feet high, and it isn't that much shorter than the Great Pyramid. It, too, is constructed out of limestone and is perfectly proportional on all four sides. What makes Khafre's Pyramid unique compared to the Great Pyramid is that the top is still there. If you look at the pictures on the website, you will see that the top of Khafre's Pyramid is smooth, perfect, and honestly beautiful. This is how the entire pyramid would have looked. And it's not just his pyramid, but all three would have looked like this. The only difference in appearance between when it was completed and now is that 4,000 years of weather have dirtied the stone to give it the slightest brown color it has. The original limestone would have been white. Now I personally often wonder why the other two pyramids on the Giza Plateau were shorter than the original. I mean they had already built a massive pyramid once, why couldn't they do it again? As I have studied ancient history and Egyptian history, both for school and for fun, I have come to understand something about Egyptian culture. The Egyptians, and just about the entire ancient world for that matter, operated in a patriarchal society. And a part of that society was for sons to carry on their father's legacy, without usurping it. Now I know that this is not universal. I mean, Philip of Macedon certainly was not the conqueror that his son was. And depending on the circumstances of the world, a son's rule might be greater than that of his father's. But honoring your father's legacy was an essential part of ancient life, particularly for kings. So by constructing his pyramids smaller than his father's, Khafre was signaling to the world that he too was a powerful, wealthy ruler, but that he was not his father. Now this is just my interpretation about the differing sizes of the pyramids on the Giza Plateau. If you think differently or have another opinion, please do reach out to me on the website 21wonderspodcast.com. I'd love to discuss it with you. The third and smallest pyramid on the Giza Plateau was constructed by Menkore. We're not exactly sure as to his lineage, but it's likely that he was a son of Khafre, the grandson of Khufu. Menkore's pyramid is constructed in the same way as the other two, out of limestone and granite blocks. The biggest difference between this pyramid and the other two is that Menkore's pyramid is much smaller. Standing at a height of only 65 meters or 213 feet, it is not even half as high as the other two pyramids. Now a 65 meter tall pyramid is still a monumental structure, but this one gets dwarfed by the other two on the Giza Plateau. Menkore also used more granite in his construction as opposed to the limestone his father and grandfather used. All three pyramids on the Giza Plateau had other buildings constructed in accordance with the pyramids themselves. I'm not going to go into any great details of all these. As I stated before, we could easily spend an entire podcast looking at the Giza Plateau and what was on it. I'm mostly just going to give you a rundown of other important structures on the Giza Plateau, and then we'll conclude this episode with the Great Sphinx. The Great Pyramid and Menkore's Pyramid have three small pyramids next to theirs. These pyramids were substantially smaller and were used for burials of the pharaoh's queens. 
there are also two cemeteries on the plateau as well. Called the East and West Cemeteries, in correlation to their position to the Great Pyramid, these tombs were intended for Khufu's family. These are some of the oldest, best-preserved tombs in the ancient world outside of the pyramids. They are also some of the most intricately decorated tombs that we know of. These tombs were mostly known as what's called mastabas. Mastabas are a funerary structure that were rectangular in shape and constructed over a tomb which was below it, typically underground. Amongst these tombs is the famous tomb for Queen Merisanka. This tomb might seem insignificant in the shadow of the pyramids, but Queen Merisanka's tomb contains some of the best preserved reliefs of any Egyptian structure and certainly the most well-preserved reliefs of any of the tombs on the Giza Plateau. Merisanka was the granddaughter of Khufu, and as such, deserved a tomb worthy of that status. Her tomb is rather large for a queen, and depicts a number of basic activities that Egyptians did on a daily basis. Activities such as bread making, beer brewing, smelting, herding, and statue carving are all depicted on the walls of her tomb. It's tombs like this that remind us that the ancient peoples were just like us. They had similar likes and dislikes, and they did the same things we do today and had the same needs. There is even a bed and some chairs in her tomb. But by far the most distinguishing feature of Queen Merisek's tomb are the ten large statues of women. Statues of women were very uncommon in the ancient world, so the fact that there are ten of them in this one tomb is astounding. While we do not know who these women are, they are thought to be Merisek's mother, Merisek herself, and her daughters. But whoever they are, these women were obviously important to all have statues made of them. Along with the East and West Cemeteries, there is also the remains of the workers' facilities on the Giza Plateau. This was where the workers who built all three pyramids would have lived while they were on the construction teams. When this town was discovered by the archaeologists, they made several fascinating discoveries. They discovered houses, main streets, and several really large galleries. It is believed that this was where the workers would gather to prepare and eat their food. And while the workers who worked on the pyramid might not have been happy to have been pulled away from their families, they did receive the best treatment the kingdom had to offer. Archaeologists found a ton of pig, goat, fish, bird, cattle, and sheep bones in the immediate area. This tells us that the workers of the Great Pyramid were well fed. We also know that they were well taken care of medically. In a grave site next to the workers' town, archaeologists found the bones of a number of workers who died or worked on the job. A good number of these workers had broken bones, but a majority of these bones had been set and had healed. So the workers got the best food and the best medical care to be at their peak physical condition to work on the Great Pyramid. Maybe it wasn't such a horrible gig after all. But by far, the most famous monument on the Giza Plateau, other than the pyramids itself, is that great famous statue, the Sphinx. 
Large statues were a staple of Egyptian society. The large statues of Abu Simbel are proof enough of that. But the Great Sphinx is in a category all to itself. The Great Sphinx, which is a head of a man and the body of a lion, was carved out of the bedrock of the Giza Plateau. The design of the Egyptian Sphinx was to portray the pharaohs as a supreme being amongst the Egyptians. A Sphinx portrays power, and power just beyond that of the physical realm. It connected the pharaoh to the gods. The Great Sphinx was believed to have been carved sometime during the 4th dynasty, most likely during the reign of Khafre, the son and successor of Khufu. If this is true, it makes it the oldest carved statue in Egypt, and possibly the oldest carved statue in the world. The Sphinx, and the temple associated with it called the Sphinx Temple, are located directly next to the Pyramid of Khafre. This reinforces the idea that he was the one who ordered the Sphinx carved. Analysis of the Sphinx facial features show similarity to statues of Khafre as well. But there is one feature about the Sphinx that makes it unmistakable. The missing nose. There have been any number of explanations and theories about this, some more outlandish than others. But this was most likely caused by the fact that the statue is more than 4,000 years old. And the nose, possibly the smallest and most delicate part of the statue, either eroded away from the blowing sands of the Sahara or broke off in an earthquake or subsequent natural disaster in the area. The size of the Great Sphinx adds to its allure and legacy. It is one of the world's largest sculptures still standing today. It measures about 73 meters, or 240 feet long, and about 20 meters, or 66 feet high. Unlike the Great Pyramids, we are unsure if the Sphinx was covered in the same white limestone that the pyramids were. Historians believe that it at least was painted to give it a lifelike appearance. But if it did have a limestone covering, that would also be another possible explanation as for the missing nose. As we will talk about more when we cover the history of the pyramids, the white limestone was stripped to use in building future cities and fortifications. Perhaps the Sphinx was covered in the same limestone, and when that limestone was stripped, the nose broke off. Again, we have no idea, but it's fun to speculate. The Great Sphinx became something of an icon for the future pharaohs of Egypt. So much so, that King Tutmosa IV placed what has become known as the Dream Stella in between its paws. Stellas were simple monuments that usually depict a story or tell a tale. This stella in particular tells the tale of how King Tutmosa IV ascended to the throne. The story begins with Tutmosa IV in his youth, showing off his athletic prowess as he shoots at targets, hunts lions, and is speeding around in his chariot in the vicinity of the Great Sphinx. One day, after frolicking around in the area, he fell asleep under the shadow of the magnificent statue. While he was sleeping, the Sphinx appeared to him in his dream, disguised as the solar god Hormaket. Hormaket told young Tutmosa IV that he was feeling encroached upon by the sands of the desert, and that if the young man would free him from his sandy prison, then he would act as a guide for Tutmosa IV and establish him on the throne of Egypt.
When Tutmosa awoke, he immediately ordered that offerings be brought to the Great Sphinx. While this is certainly an entertaining and interesting story, it most likely did not happen. It only added to the Sphinx's prowess, though, when Tutmosa IV did ascend to the Egyptian throne. The Dream Stella was placed at the ground level of the Great Sphinx, proving that King Tutmosa IV kept his end of the bargain, removing whatever sands were encroaching on the magnificent statue. And with him being on the Egyptian throne, it would seem that the Sphinx kept his word too. What makes this story that much more fascinating is that King Tutmosa IV reigned more than 800 years after Khafre, the pharaoh who carved the magnificent monument. The lure, awe, and power of the monuments of the Giza Plateau extended far beyond the pyramids and touched people all around the world, even to this day. Next week, though, we will be heading back to the Great Pyramid of Giza to see what it looked like on the inside. The inner chambers of the Great Pyramid of Giza are perhaps the most impressive part of the whole wonder. It was so massive, so impressive, that we are still discovering things about the Great Pyramid to this day. In the spotlight of history for more than 4,000 years, and yet it still has some secrets to tell, and some secrets to hold on to. Oh,